You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Okay, so we're going on to uh, chapter 9 today of 1 Samuel. So if you want to find 1 Samuel chapter 9 in your Bibles, uh, I was thinking at home of, of uh, you know, when you listen to a, a, you watch a sitcom or a program on TV and it says, previously on... And so today's previously on uh, after God's heart is that last week we heard that the people of God, who are the people that he's rescued from slavery, have asked for a king. So that's where we are in the story. They want a king. And as Tom spoke to us last week, helped us to see that this is quite a sad turn of events because they already have a king, actually. Uh, the king is the Lord in heaven. Uh, they already have a king who they come through Samuel to understand uh, what this king wants of them. But they look, uh, their, their mistake is that instead of looking upwards, they start to look sideways and see what do the other nations have. I want what they've got. And uh, it's a little bit like a child who says, all the other kids' parents let them do this. Why don't you let me do it? All the other nations have got this. We want one. It's not fair. And so their attention changes from being one that is... Uh, saying, we are the people of God, that's our identity. Strangely enough, that all of their celebrations and festivals are all, are all around their identity. The, 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 the Passover is all about how they were redeemed, brought out of, uh, rescued from Egypt. They're brought out of slavery. When God talks to the Israelites, he refers to them as, you, you are my children who I brought out of slavery. These are, this is who you are, and they would often refer to themselves. We are God's chosen, people, as Tom said last week, who are set apart, called out. And as Christians, we are also people who are called out. We are people who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, the Bible says. And we've got to embrace this, otherwise we will get completely compromised. You've got to remember, the Bible talks uh, about being, it says in 1 John, he says, do not love the world. If you are, have love for the world, the love of the Father is not in you. We can't be in the world and of the world. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called out. And the Israelites were the people of God called out of slavery, called out of uh, oppression, and as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, you know that's your story. Actually, I used to be somebody who would just go with my whims, my, my flesh's desires, and, uh, and what the, the standards of the world. But now I've been brought out of that, saved by Jesus, as we were just singing about, the, the glorious salvation that we're partaking in. And we now live set apart, holy. That's what holy means, set apart. We are holy people. Not because of what we've done, we haven't reached that goal ourselves, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And these people have the same story that they are set apart. They're not supposed to be looking to the right and the left and saying, what, what's going on here? What's going on there? Let's have what they've got. And so Samuel had to deal himself with this feeling of rejection. They've rejected me. But, but God said, no, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And it was actually heartbreaking for God when, when his people, who he's bought with a price, Actually, when we become Christians, uh, it's not... Morris said a few weeks ago, no one uh, drifts into Christianity. He spoke to us about um, uh, um, repentance. No one, re no one drifts into Christianity. You lay your life down for the one who laid his life down for you. It's like, it's like marriage. No one drifts into marriage. There's a day when you say, a minister says to you, do you take 
do you promise? I do. There's a moment with us with God when we become the people of God. Yes, because of his work for us, not because of what we've done. But there still has to be a moment where we say, I choose. And I stick with that choice. He is mine. So their, their, their question started to be the wrong question. It was, what can we have? What would make us feel better? Let's look around. Oh, that would make us feel better. Other nations have kings who, uh, who, who rule them, who lead them, lead them into battle, lead them into victories. Other, other nations have kings who uh, make them feel secure. And I, I want to feel better. So they start to ask questions like, what can we have? What would make us feel better? Rather than, who do we belong to? That's the good question for a Christian. When you're coming to crossroads or any day of your life, when you wake up in the morning, whose am I? Whose am I today? Not what do I want? What do I feel like? What's going on in the culture at the moment? Who do I belong to? And we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, called out of slavery to be set apart. And we need to embrace that. We will look different. Tom said last week, people may look at us and say, you make weird choices. We don't say, oh, do I? Oh, I better get in line with you then. Well, yeah, I do. I'm set apart. I'm not like the world. Not arrogant, but because I've been rescued. And I'm making choices on the back of that. And these people, unfortunately, have dishonored God, really. They've, they've chose to reject him. And we're picking it up in chapter 9, where we get introduced to this character, Saul. So it's quite obvious. Chapter 8 ends, we want a king and uh, God says, I'll give them a king. In chapter 9, we get introduced to this man, so we quite quickly assume, well, this must be the king. Just to say before that, God is gracious. It's a bit like the prodigal son story. When the prodigal son, Jesus says, uh, says to his father, I want my half of the inheritance now. And the father could say, no. It's, that's totally, that's basically like saying you want the father to be dead because you want what you would get when he dies. You want it now. So the father could say, no, you're a disgrace. But he kindly says yes. But with that yes is the consequences of your yes. So God never forces himself on us. He doesn't force himself on us. He woos us to him and we say, how could I say no? How could I say no? And at the moment, the Israelites, he's not going to force himself on them. He'll say, yeah, you can have the king you're asking for. But unfortunately, they get what comes with that king. Because he's not the perfect king. The perfect king remains on the throne in heaven. So we pick it up in chapter 9. And, uh, yeah, let's read it. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, from his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah. But they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. 
But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. And I'm not going to read two chapters, so I'll just try and summarize and read little bits as we go. They'll be on the screen. So uh, Paul's servant, his friend, uh, convinces him, let's go and see the man of God. And it turns out the man of God, Samuel, uh, had been told by God, this man will come to you and he is the one I'm going to call to rule these people. Uh, And so Samuel knew Saul was coming. They meet. I mean, if you want to look at an example of God's sovereignty and God's wisdom, you could read these two chapters at home later because I haven't got time to go into that. But the way that God knows, he's weaving all things together. And so that this meeting comes together, he brings uh, Samuel prophetic words that are so specific. You know, not like our uh, fortune cookies. Today you will find a friend. Uh, or, uh, you know, or, or what are they called? Um, star... Horoscopes, thank you. You know, and they're like, oh, this week you will find new opportunities. Yeah, of course. You know, it's specific. So you see God's hand and his authority in these chapters. So he's meeting with Saul. uh, Saul meets Samuel, and Samuel starts to honor him and say, I want you to eat with me today. Come and have a meal. And and, uh, we look at verses 18. And Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered, Saul, I am the seer. In those days, a seer uh, was what they would call a prophet. Go up before me to the high place. For today you shall eat with me. And in the morning, I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you? And for all your father's house, Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? So Saul meets uh, Samuel. Samuel starts to honor him and start to speak to him. Come eat with me. And, and Saul uh, starts to question, Do you know who I am? Have you misunderstood? I'm no one, really. Uh, And then we go on uh, to the next morning uh, in verse 27. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell your servant to pass on before us. When he's passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. And verse 1 of chapter 10, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So that is, uh, and then later on, Saul is proclaimed king towards the end of the chapter. So that's the the story of Samuel uh, and Saul's introduction to each other. And uh, there will be many more cases of them being together, but that is the introduction. And it's our introduction to Saul. And at first he comes across as quite a humble guy, quite a likable guy. Um, But before we get there, the beginning of the passage, it's it's positive. Saul, tall, handsome, wealthy father, uh, uh, one of the tribes of Israel, it's all good. And now what we see is even more impressive 
is that we've had these stories, I don't know if you remember through the, the beginning chapters of 1 Samuel, where we have these dishonorable, disgraceful, really, sons, sons of Eli. Remember them? Dishonorable. Sons of Samuel, now recently been dishonorable. That's why the people rightly want something to change. They want something to change. They just go to the wrong solution. But they couldn't carry on with, with, with Samuel's sons. And now we're introduced to a son who is honoring his father. It's a great introduction. It's uh, impressive. The donkeys of Kish were missing. And in, we might think that's a bit odd. Why does that matter? Well, in those days, for him, that would have been a valuable asset. would have been a bit like your, your cars being stolen or your tractors if you were a farmer. They're a means of transportation, but a means of work as well. It's a big deal. And uh, Saul asks his, uh, sorry, Kish asks his son Saul to go, and he is obedient. He now says, what was my father's problem is now my problem. He's an honorable son. So he goes to obey his father. And he doesn't just do a half-hearted job. As we see here, he really goes for it. He passes through the country of Ephraim, through the land of Shalishah. Does he give up then? Oh, we've gone to two lands. I'm tired. No, he continues, and they pass through the land of Shalim. They're not there, and he then passes through the land of Benjamin. So he goes to five different lands. He is an honorable son. He's, he's doing his father's work very well, thoroughly. He could quite easily have said, oh, uh, you know, he could have gone out with his mates for a few days and said, well, we looked, we didn't find them. Could have lied. Plenty of stories like that in the Bible. But no, he's quite honorable. We, we, we think, oh, this is good. It's more like it. No wonder God likes this guy. In our day and age, honoring your father and mother is not really... I mean, you look to the sides again. What's the culture doing? It's not really that fashionable. If anything, parents are often something to be, you know, how do I get around them? How do I get around what my parents want? But God makes it clear in his word that it's something he regards very highly. Honoring your father and mother is something that God absolutely treasures. It's one of his ten commandments that he wants to be the basis of human society, the basis of his Christian, his, his uh, God society. Honor your father and mother. And here we've got a man who's honoring his father and mother, even his father, even when he uh, says, right, we better turn back now. It's not because, oh, I'm bored now, or we're not going to find the donkeys. It's, I'm actually concerned that my father's going to start to get anxious about us more than the donkeys. Let's, let's go back. It's really an honorable way of thinking, isn't it? He's a long way away from his father. He's, he's not in, within earshot of his father. But he's, he's saying, I think my father's preference would be that we go back. Often we, we'd, we'd read the Bible or we treat people like, what can I get away with in here? But this is not the heart of Saul. He thinks, what would my father's preference be? Do you honor people like that? When you're out of earshot of people, do you honor them? What, how would they like me to speak about them? What might they like? What about people you are under the authority of? Your boss at work, perhaps, or, or your parents? You speak highly of them when they're out of earshot? Are you quick to obey them when they're not around? Or do you think, right, they're not here. They're not listening. I heard of a, a guy who... Um, his, pa- he, his pastor had to visit another church, the, the leader of the church, and so he got an opportunity to preach. And while his pastor was away, he preached on something he knew his pastor would not have agreed with. 
So dishonoring, isn't it? It's not what he would have wanted, but he's out of earshot, so I can get away with it. Right, my chance. And that's sad. But what we've got here is Saul saying, he could, he could say whatever he wants, really. He could get away with it. He's a long way, but he's saying, I think my father's preference would be this. It's a very honorable son. Is that how we honor God? Do we think, right, again, I, I, if I read this verse, this passage, then I think I can get away with this behavior. Or do we read this thing, I want to know his heart. I want to know what God wants. I want to know what he's like. And then I want to adjust myself to say, God, I trust what you're like. I, I want to go with what you would prefer, not what I can get away with. And then I just wanted to, 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 to look at his servant friend as well. What a fantastic example of a friend here. He's, his, his boss or his friend has come to a, 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 a crossroads. What should we do next? And he says, come, let us... Go back. Oh, no, sorry. That's Saul saying, let's go back. Let's my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But his servant said, there's a man of God in this city. He's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. And the way we should go is not literally which direction. It is tell us what to do. Let's ask the man of God what to do. That's a fantastic example of a friend. Have you got friends like that? That you would ask them, oh, this is not sure what to do here, or this happened this week. And they would say, well, let's go to what God would say. What was God saying? That's the sort of friend you want. Can I encourage you? That's the sort of friendship you should strive for. And is that the sort of friend you are to others? I met with someone this, just this week, and I was just telling him, I've struggled with some stuff lately. It's a bit tough with just life. You know, we all struggle with things, and I was talking to him about some stuff. And I was so blessed when he just said, well, let's pray. And, and I half expected, well, have you tried this? What about this? Have you done this? But his answer was, well, let's pray. I thought, yeah, well, that's probably the best thing we can do right now. Let's do that. That's a friendship. And so I want to encourage us, let's be a community of people. Because the other opportunity, the other option is to say, well, whatever floats your boat, you know, you do it. His, his uh, servant could have said to him, okay, let's go back then, if that's what you say. I mean, actually, he, he could have felt, well, am I even allowed to say something? But he, he actually stood up and said, well, there's a man of God here. We're going to be friends who say, well, go with your heart. Do whatever feels right. That is probably what the song of the culture is, isn't it? You know, go with your heart, whatever feels right. Often, the heart is deceitful. The Bible says that. And so I want to go with what the Bible says. I want to go with what God says, and I want to pray about things. And I want friends that will help me in that way. Is that how you behave with your spouse? Is that how you behave with your children? Let's let's go to God about this. Is that on the tip of your tongue? Or is it like sometimes we do, you know, it's the last resort. We're really stuck now. Let's go to God. Come on, we're really stuck. Because he's there. He's available for us. We've been singing about it in worship. He's a good father. He's with us. He wants to bless us. He's done the work to open the way so that we can commune with the Father. So let's take advantage of it. So uh, Saul, we begin this introduction thinking, he's a humble guy. And I wonder what your uh, definition would be of humility. What do you think of when you think of humility? We've got this great first impression of him. He seems very humble on the surface. What do you think of humility? Just 
think of in your head. What is humility to me? Perhaps you think, basically, it's not thinking highly of yourself. That would be quite a good definition. I don't think highly of myself. Perhaps you know what you think. What's the opposite of humility? You might think of arrogance or pride. Well, I want to talk a bit about how Saul went halfway to humility. Halfway. Even in these, this great first impression that we get, this great uh, start of the story with him, uh, unfortunately, if you know the story, it unravels. Saul is not an honorable king, not an honorable ruler. He gets bitter. He gets selfish. Uh, he gets um, jealous. He's not a good ruler. In fact, uh, uh, he's not a humble guy. He's quite a selfish guy. But at the beginning, you'd think, but what? He didn't. But he said, aren't I the lowest of the low? And he's quite a humble guy. Okay, that's halfway. What I want to talk about is how a sober view of yourself is halfway to true humility. The other half is a sober view of God, sober view of his great glory. Saul's gone halfway. And we see glimpses of the future in this story. Let's just quickly three points here. One is that Saul is surprisingly ignorant about the judge who God has called to lead his nation. Saul is a man of Israel. He's a man of the Benjaminite tribe. So he's in a tribe of Israel. He's, he's one of the people of God. And yet he's got no idea who this man is and where he lives. His servant tells him. His servant educates him. He's not just saying, hey, Saul, remember, remember uh, Samuel's here. No, he has to edu- there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who's held in honor. He's telling Saul. So there's something missing here, because Saul is a man of the people of God, and yet he's ignorant about God's story, God's ways, what's, what's God doing. A humble man of God, a humble man, yes, you would know your limitations, but you also would be aware of what's God doing, what's God up to. Being aware of our own inadequacies is not humility, unless it's coupled with an awareness of God's great purposes. What's God up to? And for some reason, Saul wasn't caught up in that. He, he just was thinking that he was not a big deal. He wasn't realizing that there was a big deal around, that he could have got to know about him, could have got on board, could have uh, been led by this, this great God. Number two, Saul disregards what God has to say. He's not really quick to go to God and say, what do you say about these things? And, and God's power, he's not thinking, God's the powerful one. He wasn't even thinking of turning to God before his servant suggested it. It wasn't his suggestion, his servant suggested it. I mean, you've got to give him some, some credit. He did say, yeah, good, good call, let's do that. But he wasn't thinking of that way. And then later, as we see the story unfold, even in these early chapters of of meeting Saul, he's told you will be anointed to be the ruler who will deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel declares Saul as the man God has chosen, that God will be with him, whatever he puts his hand to. It's pretty cool. God speaking over him, "You you are my man. You are my man. And it would be very easy... Uh, well, he could have responded in multiple ways, couldn't he? But actually, as we, we go on to see, his response was not to go, okay, I'm his man, I'll step up, I'll step into the boots that he's put out for me. His response is rather to hide. If we look in uh, chapter 10, verse 22, when Samuel is trying to proclaim the Saul as God's, Saul as God's ruler, 
he literally is hiding behind some baggage. And then when he becomes king, rather than lead the soldiers into battle, as he's been told, you will deliver us. You'll be the one to lead us out of this, uh, this battle with the Philistines. Instead of that, he dismisses his soldiers and he actually leads them home. So already we're seeing in the early days, but God's told you, you are this. And he's disregarding what God says. And true humility has a high regard for God, low regard for self. Low regard for self is only halfway there. A high regard for what God says produces fruit, produces peace. If you are somebody who struggles with self-worth or anxiety and things, you may think I'm quite a humble person. Well, you're only halfway there if you're not remembering what God says about you. I've brought you out of sin. I've brought you out of loneliness. I've, I've called you a prince. I've called you a son. We saw the, this adoption Sunday. God, if you're a Christian here today, has called you a son or a daughter. He's adopted you in. And it's, we must hold on to what God says about us when the temptation is to think, what do I think about myself? Or what do others say about me? I know myself and get quite easily insecure and I start thinking, you know, horizontally. What are others saying at the moment? What are they thinking? Well, that was a weird way that he said that to me. What did he really mean? Suddenly I started to unravel quite quickly. I've got to remember, what does God say about me? What's my identity? Not what do I prefer, but whose am I? Whose am I and what does he say? We have a high regard for what God says. It will produce hope. It produces courage produces action and life. If you think about Saul's successor, David, he he was a man who would be in the fields tending the sheep, but writing songs and praising God. He loved God, and it's said about David in these books, he's a man after God's heart. That's why we've called the series this. We want to be people after God's heart, not just after his stuff, not just after what he can do for us. I want to be after his heart. And David was a man after God's heart and came across in some places, not, oh, I'm just a worm, I'm a humble worm. But no, I am a man called by God to slay a giant. I'm a man who will stand up and be courageous when others won't. When the the Israelites were cowering, the Philistines, David wasn't cowering with them. He said, wait a minute, aren't we the people of God? They're not the people of God, we are. Well, why are we the ones scared here? Because he had a high view of God, a high regard of what God says, and that produces something. We should be a people of hope, people of courage, and that should bring action. I'd love us to be a people who the the, the council and the the, the police force in Ipswich say, we love Hope Church because they are in action in this town. We don't just sit in our bunkers and hide away. Well, it's a scary world out there. No, we want to get out there. We're the people of God, and we've come to attack the darkness in this town. We've come to produce light here. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I know other churches that have the council said that about them. We love that church. They've served us so well. I want that to be our heritage here. Unfortunately, in 1 Chronicles, later on, uh, 1 Chronicles 13.3, David says... Let us then bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. So the ark of the covenant, as we saw earlier on in the story, was stolen and given back to the Israelites once they realized the Philistines, what they'd taken. 
And, uh, and it was really because it wasn't just a symbol of, of, of God's power and might. There was actually something of his power and might wrapped up in it. And Saul had, uh, he had this in his, um, he, he, in his access. He was, it was accessible to him. But David's saying here, the whole time of Paul's, Saul's reign, he didn't access, he didn't, have, he didn't seek it at all. So what a sad story that all the way through his reign, he didn't really come to God and say, what should we do? He didn't really access the power and the voice and the might of God. Humility means far more than confessing that our own power is insufficient. It means crying out for the power of God, believing in it and standing in it, which Saul never learned to do. Thirdly, Saul refused to submit to the Lord as the true king of Israel. It's quite subtle, but uh, if you look carefully, the people requested a melech, which is a Hebrew word for king. They requested a melech. And God says to Saul, he will be a najid. You might not know what that word means, but you know it's not the same as melech. It's different. It means you'll be a deputy, you'll be a captain, you'll be, as I, as I read it in the ESV, it's translated a prince. They wanted a king, God said, I'll give you a prince, I'll give you a ruler, but it's not that he is the king. In 1 Samuel nine seventeen, the Lord tells Samuel that Saul is called to govern his people for him. And again, in chapter 10, verse 1, that we read a bit earlier, Samuel tells Saul that Israel is God's inheritance and not his. Just look at that because right throughout there, it's very clear. The first verse of chapter 10 in the ESV says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people, Israel? Okay, they're not going to be your people. They're still God's people. And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of the surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So Samuel's actually, sorry, Saul, is actually called to be a ruler under the headship, under the lordship, under the kingship of the king God, of the father God. And he disregards that. He refuses to submit to the Lord as the king of Israel. You know that yourself, that he was, we can relate to that ourselves. What, what, whatever God has given us, he's given us to God, to be a good shepherd of, a good steward of. He's entrusted things to us. Right down to your skills and talents, they're entrusted to you. There's a, there's a parable where, where Jesus talks about the, skill, uh, the talents and says, you've been given things to use. It's basically the heart of the, the parable. God will, will ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? Ultimately, everything we own, even down to our, uh, our um, cars and our houses and, and our clothes and and our friendships, our relationships, they're given to us by God to steward. We're doing a good job with that, recognizing this isn't mine. We could quite easily say, but I worked hard for that. I got myself there. I, I dusted my boots off and I, and I worked hard and I managed to get to that position. It's humble, humble, godly way of thinking is to recognize everything is given to me by God. And it's given to me by God to shepherd well, 
to steward well, to do well with for his sake. The Bible says he's returning and he'll ask what we do with what he, what he gave us. God's call is for Saul to be a prince over Israel. The Lord calls him to guard, preserve, govern, steward, but not own. And he neglects that. These are the signs that point towards some of Saul's demise later on. And later on, he even builds a monument to his own honor as king in a few chapters' time. He, he builds a, can you, I mean, that just puts it right on the page, doesn't it? He builds a monument to his honor as king. Even though, if, you, if, he, if he was listening carefully, you'd realize, he didn't really call me to be king. You're still king. And there may be some places in our hearts where we need to recognize, actually, I'm not king. And it just shows that actually that the humility didn't go very far. At one point, he recognized he was nothing. But when he got given the chance, he sort of ran with it in a very selfish way. We just need to look at this in light of what it's pointing towards. I said that his successor, David, was fantastic in terms of lots of these areas where Saul failed. David was a man after God's heart. He, he submitted to God. He wanted to follow God's leadership. He wanted his people to know God. He wrote you know, love songs to God, loved God. But even David was only a, a pale comparison to the, the son of God, the king of kings, who came to, uh, to, to rescue us. You may be sitting there thinking, well, Tim, all the things you're saying about Saul, I do all the time. So I'm really uh, in a bad position here. The beauty of this uh, Bible is that it doesn't end in 2 Samuel. We don't just read about Samuel's story and go, well, good luck, learn how to be godly. It all points to this Jesus who said, it's all about me. And this Jesus didn't fail where Saul failed. Didn't fail where we fall. Didn't fall where we fall. Didn't fail where we fail. He, uh, he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin, and yet was willing to humbly go to the cross for our sake. If you just look at the ways that we talked about, Saul failed. Uh, Jesus was victorious, as we sang earlier on. Jesus knew about God's ways. He wasn't ignorant. He knew God's story. He knew God's purposes. He was wrapped up in God's purposes. He was on God's mission. He lived his life depending on what God said. He said, I do not speak on my own authority, but under the Father's authority who tells me what to say. And he always submitted to the Father as if the Father was the true king. He was saying, Saul, he took it on himself. He, He snatched that kinghood. He when it was offered to him, he, uh, he grasped it selfishly. We look at the classic verse, really, the classic passage in, in uh, Philippians 2 on, on humility that we see in Jesus. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't quick to say, wait, aren't I God as well? Can't we do it my way? Can't we do it this way? Why do I have to be born into a manger? Why do I have to die on a cross? He didn't actually live his life like that, but he emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. It's a great sign of humility before God is obedience. You may say, but isn't it like nice in front of God to be like, oh, but I'm just, woe is me, I'm a worm. And he likes that. He likes obedience. And obedience may often call us into action, into courageous action. Like we were saying earlier, we have a high regard of what God says. It will call us. It will bear fruit in our lives. It called Jesus to the most courageous act that's ever happened. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The most humble man that ever lived did not regret it. 1 Peter 6 says, Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The most humble man who ever lived, who could have exalted himself, is not regretting it. He is now exalted by the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father. And 1 Peter 5 says, we humble ourselves and trust that he will exalt us at the proper time. Maybe things in your life, you're thinking, I just want this to happen I'm really waiting for something to happen. I, I could make it happen myself, a bit like Abraham when God gave him a promise. He tried to make it happen himself, did it the wrong way. We could sometimes do that. But if we trust him and humble ourselves under him, he will exalt us at the right time. I wonder uh, if the band would just come. I wonder if you have um, humbled yourself fully or if you've just gone halfway with some of these things. Perhaps you know I've gone halfway. I know my limits. I know my failures, but I've stopped there. As a Christian, you can be strong. You can say, I've gone halfway by recognizing that I am a failure. But the full way is recognizing he's great and he's in me. It doesn't end there. Jesus is within us. He, I may not have a lot going on for me, but the one who has everything going for him is in me. And I stand in that. It may be that you, some of us have to go the full way and say, God, uh, I recognize that maybe I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect, but I forget that I have the perfect one on my side. I forget that I'm supposed to uh, come and bear fruit in this life. It may be that people here have never even gone the full way at all in terms of never uh, admitted that there is a king. The people of Israel, like I said, they already had a king. But they traded the king of heaven for a worldly king. Maybe there are some today that you know I've got many worldly kings. I love to go to this for my joy. I love to go to this for my comfort. I go to this to make me feel good. We'd love you to know here, none of those will compare to the king on the throne. None of those will satisfy. None of those have won a victory for your life. Gave their lives for you. Maybe today you can trade those kings for the king on the throne. We'd love to encourage you to do that. Let's not go halfway. Brothers and sisters in Christ here today, let's not go halfway. Let's go the full distance and stand in what he's called us to stand in. 
be confident in who he's called us to be. And there are those of you today that may think, well, I've never admitted that I need a king. Today, maybe you want to say, okay, there's a king that I need to submit to, I need to give myself to, I need to honour and obey and wait for him to exalt me. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.